Welcome to Alex and Annie, the real women of vacation rentals. With more than 35 years combined industry experience, Alex Husner and Annie Holcomb have teamed up to connect the dots between inspiration and opportunity, seeking to find the one story, idea, strategy, or decision that led to their guests' big aha moment. Join them as they highlight the real stories behind the people and brands that have built vacation rentals into the $100 billion industry it is today. And now, it's time to get real and have some fun with your hosts, Alex and Annie. Welcome to Alex and Annie, the Real Women of Vacation Rentals. I'm Alex. And I'm Annie. And we're here today with Craig Stevens, who is the CEO and founder of Short-Term Rentals. Craig, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Alex and Annie. Absolutely. Pleasure to have you on. And you know, we we kind of stumbled into a conversation a couple of months ago, and, and I've had the pleasure of getting to know you and, and your business a little bit better. And I think we wanted to have you on today because you make up um, a, a really good representation of the newer group of people who have gotten into short-term rentals um, that you know had other did other property management experience, but um, have gotten into short-term rentals. You've done quite well with it, but you've also learned that it's a lot harder than it seemed at first, right? So, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how you got into rentals in the first place, and then we can go from there. Sure. sure. I was a senior executive uh, working in the financial services industry. I was heading up financial reporting for different entities, and I was excited about what I was doing in my day job, but I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. So I started to kind of come up with some ideas as to how I wanted to pave my future. And and I decided that real estate investing was going to be that path. So I started about 10 years ago, buying up properties myself in the New York area and some in Indiana and creating a property management company to manage those properties while I was working my full-time job. Absolutely exhausting. You know, I buy a, a couple multifamily properties here and there every year. I ended up to the point where I had nine properties and 35 tenants. And I was really developing and understanding the process around property managing. I had people helping me with it. I was an accountant CPA, so I was able to do the finance aspects of it. And then I'd have handymen and other uh, individuals help me on a part-time basis from a contracting perspective. One property that I bought was in New Jersey on the shore and we were buying it for our personal use, but also wanted to rent it out. And that's when I kind of came across the concept of renting out properties for short-term purposes and also managing them, uh, you know, as managing that property myself as well. That's when I started to realize that there was a larger need for that uh, in our locations on the Jersey Shore. What, what is the landscape like? Um, on the Jersey Shore for other property managers. I'm not super familiar besides the TV show, which I'm sure you get that all the time. <laughs> I'm not super familiar with uh, with Jersey Shore as far as the the actual rental atmosphere there. But is there legacy operators there, or just not not really a whole lot? Or they're very market specific. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of different towns kind of across, up and down the Jersey Shore, and you may have a few kind of smaller, medium-sized property management companies that manage very small, specific areas. Um, and, and then you'll have a few mom and pop setups that manage just five or six properties, you know, five to 10 properties on their own, but not largely marketing themselves as property managers. So it's it's pretty diverse. The largest providers of support there are their local real estate agents that list your properties but generally don't provide that full property management support. So there's a lot of good listing support for relatively high fees. 
but they, when it comes time to actually managing your property, a lot of owners decide to just kind of take that upon themselves and stumble through that process. Mm-hmm. So how did your experience in the long-term rentals, how did that um, carry over into short-term? Has that been very helpful or would you say it's been kind of learning a whole new language <laughs> in this side of it? Uh, definitely a little bit of both. It, it was yeah. a, a way for me to understand how to generally manage a property, how to get the right vendors in place, You know the importance of having a good team behind you to be able to manage the properties. But then, you know, and I was able to have the financial systems and the processes set up that would be able to apply to the short-term rentals. However, now that I'm in this process of managing properties and listing properties for short-term rentals, I'm finding that it is a different language altogether. You know, there are a lot of different aspects uh, from a regulation perspective, from a legal perspective, uh, taxes, in, in managing the high turnover of short-term rentals that is extremely different from what I experienced with those long-term renters on my, my other properties. Yeah. Right. You probably have a lot less um, chaotic Saturday turnovers with a long-term renter than you do with a short-term Exactly. So what, so what, what would you say, like from your, when you started, like what, what do you, what did you, what were like the biggest things that you learned quickly? Like things that you thought were going to be the, the same that you quickly identified were not. So with the, with the long-term rental process, you know, once you get a property set up and you get a tenant in, you, you're kind of done with the financial reporting process. They pay their rents online and it ends up in the financial system and it just flows through simply. With the short-term rental process, I think that having the systems in place that are different than long-term rental systems was really critical. And it took me a little while to understand that. I initially started by thinking I would create my own online booking systems and my own platform to process <laughs> cash and, and leases. And I found yeah. out that that was going to cost me a ridiculous amount of money. So I started <laughs> to look at ex, you know third-party vendors and boy, that that process of having this third-party vendor uh, providing the services software perspective, right, is extremely important with all pieces of short-term rentals. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I mean, just being able to make those decisions is a very hard thing. And we we hear that a lot from our listeners that are newer within the industry and they need help making decisions on essentially everything. I mean, what property management system, what booking engine, what email marketing program, what insurance. I mean, there's so many different things that you can line up. And at the end of the day, you know, we're this is a small margin business for the properties that you're managing on behalf of the other people, at least. And, you know, the more things that you add on, the more that really is just chipping away at, at what your profits are. But how talk us through how you make decisions on software, you know, without really being in the space. Like, have you relied on any um, sources or information or do you have a, a mentors or anything like that that have helped you? A lot of research on my own, you know, just going out and actually looking at different softwares that are available, doing the research on those, uh, looking at other short-term property managers and what softwares are they using? How do I like how it looks on their sites? Maybe speaking with some of them about their experiences, listening to podcasts, books, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, the the really important thing was to get kind of free trials, get my hands dirty in some of these things, get walkthroughs of their software packages. I, what I found was that, that maybe I didn't think about in the beginning was the integration aspect. So making sure that, although here's this third-party software, how easily does it integrate with other softwares that are out there that you might want to use that aren't their core system, right? Mm -hmm. From a banking perspective, a background criminal check perspective, um, email processing perspective, CRM tools, those types of things. 
were becoming more evident to me uh, as I got more experience. So do you mind me asking who you actually settled on, like for your property management system, who are you using for that? Yeah, currently I'm using Logify and I'd, I'd say they're very well catered to kind of individuals that are listing and managing a few properties, but maybe not to a larger scale. So as we're starting to grow and wanting to get out to different platforms, we're finding out that it's probably doesn't have all the tools that we're looking for from like a CRM perspective and, and other aspects. So um, in, in talking to Alex and learning more about Streamline, that's kind of our next target is to possibly move from Logify now over to Streamline. Um, because of the larger breadth of uh, capabilities within Streamline. Yeah, I, I've worked with a lot of partners over the last six, seven years that have used Streamline. And it's one of those that, it, you know, you have 10 units or 10,000, like it scales very well and they're doing a really good job with integration. So I think that if you do, you just do decide to go with them, there's somebody that you're going to be able to scale with and stick with for a little, you know, for the long run. That, that's yeah. what I found. I've had a few uh, yeah. walkthroughs of the system and, and, and been able to take a look at it. It looks fantastic. Good. So where, where are most of your bookings coming from, Craig? Are you mostly Verbo or Airbnb? We're mostly Airbnb and, and Verbo. We're starting to um, probably get more bookings from Verbo than we are from Airbnb. That makes up about 70 to 80% of our bookings. We're also doing a lot of advertising on Facebook and different Facebook groups. We're, um, we're, we're trying to get out there from a marketing perspective to make our own site you know, more preferable for for guests to book through and obviously saves them fees and us fees as well through that process. Right. So we're, we're, we're slowly expanding. I mean, we started out just about a year ago and, and now we're up to about 15 rentals that we're managing. We'll be back in just a minute after word from our premier brand sponsor, Casago. I've done every position in this company. I mean, started from the ground up. I was done right. I, I just did everything. So I've done it all. Not to say that I don't still enjoy vacuuming. I love that. <laughs> you get burned out a little bit and you lose your, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. That's Kelly Hill, Costco's franchisee from McCall, Idaho. Her company, Done Right Management, had been a leader in the market for many years. But as larger national companies started to gain ground, Kelly felt like she was losing control of the business. I was my way out the door before Costco came. I really was. I think I was considering selling the company. Because I was, I was at that point where I was getting like, yeah, maybe this isn't for me. Ryan had approached, Ryan and Steve approached me and it was like they sang a song to me because I was like, this is what I need. I need direction. I'm looking at the bigger companies and I'll say, you know, Vacasa's out there and, and I admire them for a lot that they do. They have, but they have a lot of bandwidth here. They have, you know, bulk. And so they can get, do things a lot cheaper and their systems are great. And I looked at Costco as, as the opportunity that we needed to, um, to get there, to have some of those advantages. We asked Kelly about the transition to becoming part of Costco and her thoughts on the benefits of becoming part of their franchise model. We had just switched to a different um, uh, PMS system that same year. So it was a real challenging year, but it was so worth it. Because Streamline is just, I mean, it's its the best breed. And I love touting that. When I meet with owners, I'm like, yeah, oh, we use Streamline software. It's the best in the industry. That's the one main thing is that the training and the support that they've given us, I mean, they are just there. I mean, anything we need, anything we need, 
Noe's story is one that resonates with many of our franchisees. Switching software is a big decision. Costco's full-time support staff are here to help make this process significantly easier and more efficient than a regular software switch. Ryan and Steve, they just really said, you can, you can still do this. We're here for you. And if we have all these things in place, your company can run smoothly. And it does. And I think that um, I, mean, I, I, can, I can take off for a week. And I know I'm going to come back and everything is running as good, if not better than when I was here. So it's great. Visit casago.com forward slash franchise to hear more stories from franchisees like Kelly and inquire about territory opportunities and available markets. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good size portfolio. Cause you can kind of um, fine tune your, what you want to do before you move to a new platform. And then you can really, really scale up. Um, I'm curious. Um, I talked to operators. There was actually a conversation that I was having this morning on LinkedIn and I've had it several times with s- small operators in the need for engaging kind of in the local market from a, a marketing perspective to kind of build relationships so you can create either packaging opportunities or referral services. Is that something that you found or that you're doing? And if you are, do you, you found that to be value? We are starting to do that. So initially we just kind of jumped out there and, and had our blinders on and we were going to set up a property management yeah. company. But now that we're seeing there are a lot of other avenues of being able to reach out to people and, and kind of get customers through those relationships, but also uh, potentially collect some type of referral fees if we refer to other businesses outside of our space. Yeah. Um, what I've been doing is attending some of the Chamber of Commerce events. I think the Chamber of Commerce are, are fantastic in, in most locations, and it's a good way to meet people that you might not think could be partners of yours someday. So yeah, we, we, made a, we made a partnership with a couple of photographers. And as they're out there, you know, doing photographs of either a house to rent out, you know, they can refer us. Um, if we have guests staying in our place, yeah. we can refer them and say, Hey, you want some beach pictures while you're here on your vacation? Right. Yeah, that's great. Photographer. Yeah. Every time yeah. I met a photographer, I would think immediately, you know, this isn't going to be of, of a benefit for us to have this relationship. We're in completely different fields, but there is. And then mortgage bankers as well. So developing yeah. relationships yeah. with them. Um, as they start to sell a house to someone, right? Or as they're providing the financing for a home, mm-hmm. if the person is talking about renting it out, they can refer us. And if yeah. some of our owners are planning to buy, right? We can refer them as well. So there's a lot of good kind of cross-selling opportunities. That's yeah. really, really smart. And I I mean, you hit the nail on the head. This is, it's such a, ref- it's a relationship business and there's so many moving parts to it. And that you wouldn't necessarily think that all these things could tie in together. I mean, all sorts of different vendors. I mean, from, you know, restaurants to attractions, there's, there's an endless list of types of relationships you can form that will end up being a, a big part of how you differentiate yourself within the market. So that's great to hear Absolutely. that you're doing that. Yeah. Really smart. So what's next for your growth plans? I mean, that's we've, we've seen with a lot of these newer operators that have come in the last couple of years, they've, ridden, you know, the waves of high revenue and lots of bookings. And I'm not sure what this year or next year is going to going to be, but I mean, are you trying to continue to grow the inventory? How are you looking at what's going on in the economy as far as those plans go? Yes. Since we have also have this real estate investing side business, right? Where we bring individuals into uh, large real estate opportunities to invest in apartment complexes. We keep our ear to the ground um, and, and stay informed about the economy and what's going on. Obviously, there's a lot of shaky situations going on right now. We don't expect from a short-term rental perspective that that's going to change a lot of uh, 
travelers minds on taking their vacations, right. you know, we could end up in a, in a worse situation from an economy perspective, who knows, right. Where we'll end up in a recession, but people are still have these vacations that they want to take. It's something important to them that they find every year. I think mm-hmm. during COVID that's even solidified more. So mm-hmm. in, in those families, right. To have that as, as part of, of their experience with us, we're expecting to see uh, you know, about the same vacationers coming in, we're planning to grow. Uh, we're seeing a lot of new owners coming in and buying new properties on the Jersey Shore to rent them out. So we're hoping to add to our portfolio. We're going to try to stay a little bit more focused and concentrated in in certain towns, um, as opposed to maybe taking a look all across up and down the Jersey Shore to start. So we're going to try to have a focus in, in better local communities. Once we get strong in those areas, then we'll expand uh, over the coming over the coming years. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's smart. And we were, Annie and I were just talking about that earlier, actually, how there's a lot of operators that feel that they can just have a couple of properties here, a couple of properties there, and that's building their own, you know, massive short-term rental empire. And I mean, maybe it works for some that way, but I think with your goals to, you know, be a brand and to be a true property management business, like Ryan said on one of our calls, you know, the riches are in the niches. And when you that's really, true. when you focus on an area, you're you're going to you're going to have so much better success doing that versus you can't scale yourself right i mean you can't be going to these chamber of commerce meetings and all you know a bunch of different areas but um you've you've got to really focus on an area and i think in our industry there's a reason that you don't see multiple or many multiple market vacation rental businesses you just don't i mean there's there's v trips and there's there's vacasa and there's casago and all three have done things very differently um, and some more, but there you don't really see the local vacation rental company in Myrtle Beach that now just goes and starts a company in another market and it works great. And now they go do it in another market works great because it's it's complicated. Each market has their has its own nuances and ways of doing business and politics. And it's um it's it's I feel like a lot of people think that it's easier said than done. So I think you're taking the right approach yeah. and doing it methodically. <laughs> it, it's it's yeah. enticing though, because you will get calls from owners that are outside of your market space. Sure, right? yeah. And it's, it really takes a lot of responsibility, business responsibility to turn down a really good property that might be out of right. your market that could earn you a lot of money if you managed yeah. it well. But you yeah. have to think about the long-term goal of your business and where you really want to stay focused and making sure that you're developing good relationships with owners and maintaining those properties and creating a name for yourself. And then hopefully someday you can get to that other owner that that came to you uh, as as an opportunity. How do you go about hiring? I mean, what's workforce look like for you? Uh, We we like to list on platforms like on on Google ads or on Indeed. Uh, Sometimes I'll list on LinkedIn as well for Mm -hmm. people. I, I love LinkedIn, right? There's my network is is the, are the people that I know, if I can get referrals through my network, that's just a, yeah. a fantastic way to get the right hires. Um, indeed.com is probably one of the bigger ones that we use usually to list for uh, job opportunities that we have. Have you had yeah. challenges though, finding I mean, like the teams that are actually, that are cleaning the properties and doing the maid service and stuff. Have you had challenges with that? That that's tough, right? There are some larger players in each of our markets, but they're not always the best ones. You know, sometimes yeah. it's the mom and pops that actually can do a better job. And those, those have been the ones that have been hard to find. So usually if we can find a, you know, someone that's well connected within the community, say it's a handyman or a contractor mm-hmm. or something like that, they may know of individuals that also are neighbors nearby that have um, 
yeah. ha- have those abilities to do those types of activities for us. All this conversation, Alex, it just reminds me of the conversation we had with Steve Schwab about you can only be a local in one place. And, right. those, exactly. and those local connections are so important, not just from like just building your business in terms of like, you know, what you can offer a guest, but thinking about oh, what are you going to do to staff up? I mean, if you don't have those connections in the local community, you're missing out on because people don't want to work for someone that they don't know and they don't trust, especially at that, like that line level of like a housekeeper or a maintenance right. guy. They want to know that they have like stable job. This person's not a fly by night individual. And so you being local again, that's, that's a smart, that's a smart way to approach it. And then I would ask you like, you know, for the owners that you do, do you have the owners that ask you to manage out of town, do you have a referral system set up with other property managers? Like, do you network with property managers outside your market? Not yet. We have, um, sometimes we're partnering with other property managers. So we do take them on. We have taken on those ones out of our market. As long as we have a good property manager that's willing to partner with us, we can kind of split the fees in that respect. But we are still taking ownership, maybe using our systems and processes to do the bookings. Um, and, and having them, you know, just make be, be the boots on the ground. I, I think that's the next step, Annie, is is to really make sure that we are developing those relationships where you hate to just lose someone and say we can't help you, right? Instead, yeah. let's refer them to someone that we can, you know, expect and they can do the same. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about the other side of your business. So the the multifamily and the apartment complexes and and how you kind of tie everybody together that you get the properties and the and the investors and um, but if you're investing in it, you don't have to be the one that's actually doing the work, <laughs> which yeah. is nice. Tell yes. us a little bit about that. I, I have a company called Groundbreaking Real Estate, and, and this entity is is helping to helping investors to go into investments on large large apartment complexes or other commercial projects as a limited partner. So you're going into this um, entity that is holding the transaction. You're investing. Usually it's a minimum of around $50,000. You get to participate in the returns of the rents and, and net cash flows that are coming out of those properties. And they're usually value-add transactions where we're improving them over time and increasing the rents. And then we're going to sell it, say, three to seven years down the line and, and get some extraordinary returns once we finally sell them. So I go out and I find partners that are looking to raise capital for large transactions. These are usually 100 to 300 unit buildings. And I, I'm a capital raiser. I help to raise money for those transactions. So I bring my friends and family to these deals. I review the transactions, perform the financial analysis on them. I go and visit the properties and uh, we're, we're getting great returns. So it's been something that's been a, a fun opportunity for me to utilize my network and give my friends and family an ability to invest in those transactions, and get great returns, usually 15 plus percentage um, annual returns a year. Wow. Wow. That's, I love that. Yeah. And uh, I think obviously your financial background makes perfect sense that that's, that's something that you're probably really good at being able to assess, you know, the, the, the financial side and the, and the, the deal at hand, but have you so have, have any of the properties sold yet, or are they still in that um, growing phase? Yeah, I've been, I've been um, investing in these as a limited partner for quite some time for about six years. And I've had a couple of transactions close you know, one was was not as strong as they as we expected. It was a twelve percent annual average return, which was still fantastic, right? But we were projecting yeah. it to be closer to seventeen percent. And then on the other end of things, I had an apartment complex in New Jersey. It was a sixteen unit building that one closed for twenty two percent average annual returns um, wow. over about a five year period. So it's been um, 
we have had a couple of them close and we work with partners that have also had transactions that have closed as well. So, you know, together uh, we've, we've had a number of, of good, good deals go through. But I have a question related to apartments and just, I live in Florida and well, we had a hurricane that came through a few years ago. So all of our short-term housing was pretty much wiped out. So I think we lost almost 10,000 units. So they had to rebuild. Um, But now we're seeing this, like, it feels like overbuilding of these, like, they're almost like resort complexes, but they're, you know, they're low rise apartments, but it's like pods of them. So like, there's one in my development that's like six pods and there's probably 50 units per pod and it's heavy amenities and those type of things. But I wonder at what point it, it becomes overdeveloped for short term. And I guess the question would be not short term, but for these long-term stays, do you, do you see that there is a need for more of this type of housing versus single family housing because people can't afford it or that there's just people that are hedging their bet that maybe at one point they built these complexes and they can turn them over to be short term or maybe a combination of the two? Yeah, it's it's a good question because it is a supply and demand um, balance, right, that you're looking for. So we think that there's been a fair amount of pent up demand to for people to move but they're not able to now go out and buy their buy a home. Instead, they're they're looking to rent a property. So, uh, because of the high interest rates and maybe the increases in valuations on properties, they're not able to go out and buy their first home. So that they're in a lot of markets, there is an increased demand for rental properties. We expect that to continue on. Also, during COVID, there was not a lot of mobility, so folks were not moving as much within their markets. Uh, they were just kind of staying put to see where things were headed and. Uh, that's also created an opportunity now where people are starting to finally move and wanting to rent a new place. Um, so you do have this kind of shift in the market where there's going to be an increased demand. In some markets, though, I would absolutely agree. It's very market specific and there are markets that are probably being a little bit overdeveloped. We're seeing supply that is exceeding demand now and they might not be able to fill that. So we could see some increased vacancy. So we have to be very careful about particular markets and where we see the growth in the markets um, from a you know employment perspective and uh and rise in, in the economy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so from a developer, like if I was a developer, what is the what is the indicator that you look at to say, like, okay, yes, I can build 350 new apartments in this particular area? Is it just about what the pers- like the scheduled growth is based on maybe a business coming into the community or or just I guess there's always forecasts of growth for a community, but what, what does that look like from an investment standpoint? Yeah, we're, we're typically looking for, for good, strong population growth markets that exceeds the national average. Um, that indicates that there's going to be a, you know influx over the coming years and expectations around an influx over the coming years of a, a larger population. We're looking for employment growth. So our new employers moving into the market, you know, this area that we're in here, um, I live in North Carolina right now, and, and it's it's a much more you know vastly developing area where there's a lot of new employers coming into the place. And then finally, we're looking for growth in employment and and also income. So you know, are, are those indicators strong to show that we'll have you know this increased uh, population and increased income that we're going to be able to uh, provide housing to? Those really have to be in place to to make sure that we have a good market that we're heading into. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I was just actually at a Myrtle Beach Chamber event the other day, and we were talking about the short-term rental bill and the the no ban um, issue that we've been talking about in, in all of South Carolina. And one of the reasons that um, a lot of the associations do not want to participate in this or that they don't want support, support it is because of investors coming in and buying up apartment complexes, turning them into short-term rentals, taking out the uh, availability or the inventory, um, you know, for you know, lower income housing or just affordable housing really for the workers. And that, you know, in, in big destinations, you know, like where Annie is and, and where I am, that that's, that's an issue. I mean, there's, there's only so much land that you can build on. And um, I think the investment side of things is, is making things a little bit more complicated. <laughs> yeah. Are, are you, are you seeing in Jersey shore, like, are there, are there issues there? I mean, regulatory issues that you're having to be mindful of? I've seen over the last 10 years on the Jersey Shore a large growth in the short-term rental um, there, as as are the same for other markets, right? Um, There's been a higher purchase of second homes by individuals for investment purposes only. You know, they may even live out of state and not use it at all for themselves. And this has created probably a bit more headaches for the locals and, and more headaches at times for the regulators there. And, and um, I have seen some changes where they are requiring a minimum number of nights stay yeah. and uh, making it kind of complicated from an inspection perspective. So we do have one town that they require an inspection from the town after every single stay. Um, oh my God, how do they manage that? And charge $75. So, so, so the, town, the town is going out to inspect the property? Yeah, that you have to file a, a form and ask the town to go out and inspect the property after every stay. I, I think like, that what do they think is happening? To the property? That, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, really. That's their requirement, but I think that's in practice crazy. it probably does not happen as much as they would like. Yeah. But if you if you call them and you speak to them, that's the requirement. And I'm seeing towns that are shifting from minimum number of nights, you know, it might have used to be three nights stay, now it's seven nights stay minimums. Um it, it's starting to you know, towns are starting to come up with different things that are making it much more complicated. And I, I think that's yeah. only going to continue, um, you know, yeah. start to it's, see other towns coming up with crazy ideas that towns will share with each other. Yeah. That's the craziest one I think we've heard today. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I it's had like this what, conversation last week with yeah. them and I couldn't believe they were saying this. And what is there, do you, do you have any idea like what that, what the, what was the root cause of them going this because that's pretty extreme. I mean, and, I, and I'm guessing there's not a lot of rentals, so it's because it's it's not manageable. Like, yeah, it's it's um, yeah, it's actually a property we decided imagine. not to take on because yeah. we just it's you know it, it really is probably a, a revenue growth opportunity. So some additional revenue income if the town is able to implement this, it is an opportunity to have their hands more closely tied to these properties and making sure they have a close connection to these short-term rentals and that they're keeping them safe. You know, their view yeah. is if they go in and they inspect it and the fire extinguisher is there and the fire alarm is working, then they know these properties are going to be safe in their towns and they're not going to have these types of issues. So it's it's probably a couple of different decisions that came to this point, uh, but it is making it much more complicated for owners to rent out their places and, and more difficult. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, and really it's like, you know, is 
are the is the, are the cities are they or the area are they more concerned about renters or even the people that live there? I mean, they're not going out yeah. and inspecting people's regular homes. Why are they so worried about where some people right. are on a vacation? True. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the devil it's, you know versus the devil you don't. Yes. I guess right in that situation, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, interesting stuff. Well, Craig, it's been a pleasure hearing a little bit more about what you've got going on up there, and we wish you nothing but the the best of luck. And um, I still want to keep hearing more about the investment side. I think there's there's a lot to that. And um, I'm sure some of our listeners would be interested to hear about that as well. So what is the best way to get in touch with you? Sure. Reach out to me at info at shoretermrentals.com, S-H-O-R-E termrentals.com. Uh, they can reach me on LinkedIn as well to find out about both my businesses, uh, Groundbreaking Real Estate, which is the investment business as well as Shore Term Rentals. Um, they can see Craig Stevens on LinkedIn and, and connect with me there. And uh, I'd love to catch up with anyone about either short-term renting or long-term. Renting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the above. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> exactly. Well, if anybody wants to contact Annie and I, you can go to alexandannypodcast.com and be sure to subscribe to the show. And if you're enjoying it, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to leave us a review, that would be great. And until next time, thank you, everybody. Thanks, guys. Thanks.